right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, it's time for a Martin Scorsese movie. We're talking about Killers of the Flower Moon. Jason Harris is with us from Awesome Movie Year, and we have got a lot of great puzzle pieces to get into with this one. Marty loves his movies and cinema history, so of course he's going to be drawing from all kinds of stuff, and we get to talk about a lot of different puzzle pieces. But that's coming up in a second. Before we get to it, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show, as well as everything else going on in the world of movies. We'd love to have you there, so check it out, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. Along with that, we do have a Patreon, the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I post bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together, Awesome Movie Eater, and from my music career. Lots of great stuff over there, so check that out patreon.com slash by david rosen i appreciate you being out there just listening uh but if you want to support the show in that way i of course would appreciate that as well so with that said well let's get in the killers of the flower moon it's scorsese time and jason harris is here how's it going jason you know, we all talk like this in the movies, right? That's no, not that's not doesn't happen in this one, does it? So. You don't you don't have a an, an Ernest Burkhart uh, impression for us? <laughs> uh, if there was one impression to do, I think in this one it would probably be going back and watching uh, the very creepy performance of Jason Isbell in this one, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he uh, he definitely is a big standout here. I was very excited to see my buddy Jason Isbell here. But uh, yeah, we're talking Killers of the Flower Moon. And it, this is a movie, and maybe this will come up in some of our puzzle pieces along the way. We'll see. But like the discussion around this movie is so annoying. Um, there's things from, from the length of the movie, from the, uh, you know, the, the adaptation of the book to, uh, the way it treats its characters, all these different things in every single thing. Everybody has big, big opinions and hot takes. Do you have some hot takes, Jason? Uh, on this or on the Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey thing? What do you, what do we need? Whichever one you want to throw in here as it works. I mean, know. everyone's always, it's just, it's, you know, these kids, right, Dave, these kids today. They can't yeah. sit through a three and a half hour movie. So yeah, no, I'll tell you a funny no, no. story. When I went to see it, I took a comedian friend of mine and he didn't know how long it was. He had a five thirty call time. We went to a one fifteen show at four thirty. The movie was still going. He's like, well, I got to go. <laughs> he didn't miss much. But uh, yeah, just just the <laughs> just the ending, which was very cool, I thought. So. The ending was pretty cool. Uh, so we, we'll get into some puzzle pieces. Before we do, though, um, you read the book. Uh, t- talk to me a little bit, really quick, before we get into your first piece about the book versus the movie. What your thoughts were on that? Okay, the book's really good. Like it made me mm-hmm. want to read more of David Grant. The structure is totally different. I what I had heard about the movie is they originally tried to do the structure the same way, which is, you know, the murders happen. And then Tom White, the Jesse Plemons character comes to town and it's much more about how he infiltrates, um, you know, everything, the Burkhardt, Smalley and Ernest are big characters too, but 
it's really about the the lawman j edgar hoover is a big character he's not even in the movie right you know? right so right. um but it's a quick easy great read i recommend it and um i think you know that would have been a traditional route to go for this movie but you know whose story is it whose story are we telling here Right, right, exactly. And I think that's uh, that's a big part of, you know, the reconfiguring everything and what Scorsese wanted out of this project. So absolutely. Um, but with that said, you know, we'll get into what we liked and maybe didn't like along the way. What do you have for your first puzzle piece? Well, let's just knock out the Scorsese movies that he's clearly referencing first, right? You know, sure. there's tracking shots that remind you of Goodfellas. There's mixed footage that reminds you of kind of Raging Bull style sure. stuff. Uh, mean Streets I definitely had in there as because um, of the big celebrations reminding me of the San Gennaro Fest, which I think was from Mean Streets. So he's doing a lot of referencing to his own movies or just building on stuff that he already did. So I think you got to kind of mention those first. But um, yeah, it's just, you know, he adds on. He's always adding on to what he's done and you know, spoilers come in here. The ending, which, you know, instead of the postscript coda is like a radio show is a really cool way to do it. And it's cool that Scorsese plays one of the characters in it. I think that was like a nice end cap to the whole thing. It was an interesting end cap. And uh, we also get Jack White in there, Pete Yorn, uh, interesting little, you know, collage of cameos there doing the radio show. That actually speaks to my first puzzle piece, which is something you and I have brought up on our trailer episodes a lot of the times, but I don't think it's ever come up as an actual puzzle piece on an episode before. And that's just the explosion of true crime right now. Um, you know, whether it's in the podcast format or in these HBO series and all that stuff. But this film, I think a big part of it is to kind of, uh, I don't want to say capitalize, but certainly to evoke, uh, you know, what's going on in true crime right now. The finding this, this very specific thing that happened here in America, a big, awful crime, the investigation of it, all the players who all these people are. I mean, it's part of the reason why we have such a big length is because there's so much involved in this story. Um, and then, you know, wrapping it up with that, that postscript that you're talking about with Scorsese as part of this radio show, um, really kind of puts a cap on it that it's meant to evoke the whole true crime thing. Yeah. Uh, someone I heard suggested like, well, why didn't they just do this as a limited series? It's already three and a half hours, right? Like, right. It could have been a limited series. You could have focused on some of those other characters, but he's done stuff like that with Boardwalk Empire, which he was an exec producer on, which was a limited to six seasons, I think. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I you know, I'm a fan of it um, when it's done well. There's just too much true crime to sift through. But I do listen to some good podcasts. And as I recommended on the trailers episode, I just watched a cool documentary, uh, you know, Last Stop Larima. So you just um, you're right. There's a there's a lot of uh, a morbid curiosity in this country that we like and in Great Britain, too, I think. That's a really good way to put it. Absolutely. Uh, what do you have for your next piece? Well, I, I'm I'm going to take one from you, I think, right? Because, oh, okay. um, you know, as this movie opens, you see like this amazingly beautiful footage of natives kind of dancing in the oil, right? As mm -hmm. it springs from uh, the ground. And this is kind of that Wild West, uh, wildcatter attitude. And that brought me back to There Will Be Blood and a lot sure. of those elements. And uh, shockingly, w white people bad 
they are pretty bad. Uh, also, greed is bad. Uh, it, it really destroys the soul. Uh, but, but yeah, definitely, there will be blood, I think. Uh, there, there's going to be so many comparisons between for, for many, many years to come between this and There Will Be Blood. Uh, everything from the artwork, the way it's shot. Um, there, there's, there's so many things that you could kind of connect there as well as the corruption of power and all those things. I think that's exactly where Scorsese's going with all this. You know, it's, it's a little crazy because it was like a systematic dismantling of an entire community, right? Just to get right. their head rights and their oil rights. And even if you read the book in the trials, there's like mistrials and like, there's way more murders than people were prosecuted for. It's just like, um, you know, I, I know we like to bury our, uh, good old American heritage and like rah, 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 but like sure, disgusting, really disgusting what they did to uh, the natives. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I will go for my next piece. Uh, so I know I mentioned Thunderheart on the trailer episode when we were talking about this movie, but another one that I had had in mind when we were doing the trailers, but I think actually fits a lot better than Thunderheart uh, is Under the Banner of Heaven, speaking of limited series, uh, this series starring Andrew Garfield uh, as an FBI investigator uh, investigating murders in a very specific subsect of America. In this case, it's uh, the Mormon community, the LDS. Uh, and in the process of his uh, examining that all those murders, he's learning more about his own faith, learning more about who he is. And we as the audience get to learn a lot about the uh, very unique and secretive customs of that culture. And so the way that Scorsese is really kind of like shining a light on, on you know, these particular customs and all this stuff, uh, it reminded me a lot of the way that that show did. In it's not just about the murder. It's not just about the investigation, but it's also about these people. And that's uh, based on the John Krakauer book, if I'm not mistaken. So, I believe that's the name. Yeah. 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 Um, so I watched that. That was a that was a draining one to get through. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough, but it was really good though. Andrew Garfield's great. Yeah, and um, just the kind of um, psychotic nature of killing anybody, right? Like, uh, yeah. In the in, in that one, they kill a baby, which is not <laughs> yeah. cool. Don't go around no. killing babies. In this We're not one, for that. there's that shot of the man, the woman's like kind of putting the baby in the carriage and he just gets on the porch and just blasts her. And, yeah. you know, that's one of the murders they talk about in the book. And it's just uh, a sorry to uh, Wall Street and Gordon Gecko, But you're right. In this case, greed is not good. Greed, not good. We agree. And killing babies. Uh, what do you have for your next piece? All right. Let's go back to the late 70s for an excellent movie. Um, when you're talking about the idea of oil rigging and working these kind of Wild West areas and um, just the kind of feeling of anyone can get rich really fast in these boom times and boom towns. I picked uh, Terrence Malick's Days of Heaven, uh, which is a really good movie. And it's got a whole plot in there about a couple who is uh, willing to separate so the woman can marry the rich guy and then they can get better off. And it, it's a little scheming kind of like, like this is. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you, you, again, you know, kind of to go back to there will be blood, um, you know, just 
you know, gorgeous cinematography all around, even with any, you know, kind of issues you might have with the movie, uh, you know, something like a Malick film like that, something like this, you know, you, you just get these like incredible vistas of, of the West and, uh, you know, of this particular part of the country. So, yeah, uh, that's uh, Rodrigo Pietro who shot this one, right? And he shot yeah. Barbie this summer too. So he's having a year. On fire. Absolutely. I'll go to something I didn't like about this movie for my next puzzle piece. Uh, this one kind of invokes what is uh, a problem I had with it. Do you remember Rocky and Mumsy from the Looney Tunes? The Well, maybe. I don't know them by name. The, the, this is, it's like two little like mobster type guys. And uh, the one of them is really dumb. And, and Rocky's like, Mumsy, take this gun and go let Bugs Bunny have it. And he goes in there and he gives Bugs Bunny the gun. And then he comes back out and say, like, I let him have it, boss. You know, yeah. that that is the relationship between Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio here. Leonardo DiCaprio is so dumb. And also him and his henchmen that he hires down the line. Everyone is so dumb that it kind of makes it hard to like even like I was laughing at points at just how stupid these people are. And like to take any of their plot seriously, even though they're very horrible people doing terrible things they're so stupid and it's amazing they even were able to do any of this because they're so dumb yeah they're not the best criminals that's true but is it stupidity or is it that you know william hale the de niro character it was known as the king of the osage hills right so yeah. he was the real power broker there and burkhart you know i love women and i love money and he seems like he'll excuse anything to you know, uh, stay under Hale's thumb and continue to work to get that money. At the same time in the book, you know, and they partially show it here, Molly never really, you know, she confronts her husband who she knows is like murdering her whole family, but she doesn't really like uh, say, hey, that's not cool. <laughs> Stop murdering my whole family. Another problem I had with the movie, actually, like, I don't understand this. And like, I know some people will look at the Molly character as this, uh, you know, vision of strength and like, you know, uh, you know, standing strong in the face of all this stuff that's happening. But why isn't she doing anything to stand in the way of all this? Like, she's just letting it happen. And she even says with her girlfriends and her sisters that like, you know, he's just after the money and yet she just lets it all happen. I mean, the only I can come up with three reasons for that. One, she doesn't want to believe it and she is in love with the guy, right? I Two, guess. she's being poisoned by him every single day. So how much strength does she have, right? Sure. And three, look what happens every time the natives try to stop this. Just more of them get murdered. The government doesn't help any mm. white people they enlist um, to help them get murdered pretty much. You know, it's, it's really just uh, racial abuse here. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely right. And uh, it's a very uh, morose, you know, answer, but it's probably the correct one there. But uh, what do you got for your next piece? I'm going to stick back to that time period. I just mentioned and go to a movie that we covered on awesome movie year known as the biggest bomb of all time, but I'm glad it got a, kind of uh, reassessment. That's Heaven's Gate with our <laughs> friend Michael nice. Cimino, right? And this, again, this whole idea of like anything goes in the Wild West um, is a big part of that. But also a big part of that is like, hey, whites, let's go destroy this community and then make it our community instead, right? And that's basically sure. exactly what happened. Yeah. 
no, absolutely. Um, I, <laughs> it's such a difficult one to bring up as a puzzle piece just because of its reputation and everything. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely works in that regard. So uh, I like it. Definitely a good one to bring in. It's making and, you uncomfortable. Not the murdering <laughs> of an entire uh, yeah, Native American tribe, but bringing up Heaven's Gate, that's where you Bringing up poor Heaven's Gate. A movie which we didn't hate, even though it's got its reputation. Like, we, we liked certain aspects There's of some it. beautiful set design and artwork in there that you could compare it to, along with those story points I mentioned. Um, you know, but uh, could have used a little more brightening up like this one. I think so. I think so. Um, I'll go with Monster for my next one, the Eileen Warnos film. Um, the idea of taking this, you know, star who is just like kind of a you know, a heartthrob or a hunk or whatever with Leonardo DiCaprio and just turning him into this scumbag to like, you know, kind of match the character and match what's inside, even though, you know, he, he would be this good looking guy, but they really ugly him up. Uh, a lot like Charlie's throne is, you know, really turned into a monster to kind of fit the inside and make the outside look like it. Um, so I, just that transformation of its main character, uh, made me think of monster. Yeah, so DiCaprio, if I'm not mistaken, was originally cast in the Plemons role, the Tom right. White role in that first script. And then he was the one who requested the rewrite to tell it more from a different point of view and asked to move over to the uh, Burkhart role. And um, I do, I think like um, all three of those leads, uh, him, De Niro, and uh, Lily Gladstone, probably all in line for Oscar nods on this one. What do you think? I, I think that's fair. Maybe throw Brendan Fraser in there too. Oh yeah, I know I'm he's kidding. getting a lot of uh, mixed reviews. <laughs> I, I actually but... really liked him in it, but uh, yeah, no, a lot of people think he's just terrible. But... It's bluster, but I get, I get it because I saw your comment on it. You know, he's one of these like histrionic, dramatic uh, lawyers from the time, and, right? Uh, yeah, you know. So I mean, there had to be a strategy behind it. I, I think, I think De Niro and uh, and also uh, Lily Gladstone are probably. Probably the Oscar nods here. And I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if DiCaprio gets it. But I mean, those two really stood out to me. And I actually didn't like De Niro that much in this, partially because of what I was talking about, like just the whole villain hierarchy. I mean, he's so obvious, but I guess that is the character. And so it's hard to like really, you know, uh, put put him down for that because that is exactly what he's supposed to be. But he's so goddamn obvious that it bugged me a little bit. But Lily Gladstone's great. And uh I, I like DiCaprio in this. I thought he was I, good. I think with De Niro, though, that that speaks m more to uh, the way the character is perhaps written because he's not going sure. around like Cape Fear, right? And just like, <laughs> right. Men and, you know, he's really quiet and like kind of under the radar and, you know, like all those, all those like little scenes where like uh, he finds out that uh, Ernest and Molly are pregnant and you just get those like kind of uh, under the collar seething uh, sure. uh, reactions. I think I'm, it's nice to see De Niro do something this, uh, meaty right now. Yeah, th that's true. And he's definitely hasn't done much in this vein in a while. And, you know, not to go on too much of a tangent, but like, I, I think I would have liked this movie more if there was a little more mystery to it or something. Like it wasn't, they kind of play their cards like right in that first half hour to an hour and we know exactly what's going to happen, exactly how it's going to happen. And it just, we're there for three and a half hours, which I don't mind the length, but I would have, uh, you know, liked some twists or turns or something in there. Uh, I guess, you know, to me in the book, the twists and turns, I guess, come where it's, it's, it's never unclear that 
there's some type of scheme going on to murder these people. And, you know, um, like the doctors are clearly in on it. And and there, there may be a few more twists and turns, but it also like, I think like the idea is, Hey, uh clearly it's uh all the white people murdering these guys like let's do something about it and they don't do anything yeah. about it right so right right absolutely and I, the point is just how clear-cut and straightforward it all is so, right sure. um the one thing i would have liked more in that regard is when the tom white character does come in which is the the lawman and with jesse Plem played by jesse plemons i like in the book how they establish because they've had like private investigators there before who are either on the take or get murdered and stuff like that. Right. How these guys had to infiltrate the town, like uh, going undercover as, as ranch hands or kind of just local businessmen. And I think that could have been expanded out, but again, how long is this movie going to be then? <laughs> yeah, it's already pretty long. Uh, what do you got next? Well, you mentioned uh, we've talked a little about uh, Lily Gladstone and the kind of Molly character. And Really, to me, that whole character reminded me of being in The Shining because Mm. she is trapped in a place where she's seeing all these terrible things happen around her. People don't believe her. She can't really do anything to stop it. And she's being weakened both mentally and physically based on the circumstances and by whom her own husband. Right. So yeah, yeah. it's a very like real life shining moment. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, just, just terrible. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a really great one. I hadn't thought of that. And uh, that's, that's a perfect comparison to what this woman is going through in, in a very different way, but like certainly uh, you know, a, a lot of ways you could make that comparison. So I think that's a great one. Uh, good stuff there. I only have one more, and we kind of already touched on it earlier, but uh, I'll throw it out there anyway. Uh, Scorsese's own work with Boardwalk Empire. You know, as far as like this this one town that everything is contained in, and yet there's still so many characters. There, everybody knows each other. They're all friends. They're all family, but at the same time, they're also scheming against one another. And uh, as soon as like an outside influence comes, it's almost like a, a powder keg. That in- outside influence is is the match, and then it all just kind of explodes. And that's you know with the uh, FBI agent coming into town. Yeah, yeah. I had a couple of pieces that kind of fit in that. Uh, same kind of vein. I put Fargo, which you could either do the movie or the TV series there. Sure. And uh, The Sopranos, similarly, with kind of, you know, this this, uh, tight-knit, everyone's quiet community so we can get done what we need to get done. Yeah. No, absolutely. And once the shit hits the fan, it really hits the fan. So... <laughs> do you have any other pieces you want to? Bring I do. Up? You had mentioned true, true crime earlier. Um, did you ever see Mommy Dead and Dearest? Mm, yes, I did actually. Uh, yeah, that, that was a documentary about the girl who was, uh, I guess you would say, like uh, bed bound because her mom kept poisoning her, and that definitely sure. felt uh, very Molly and Ernest to me right there. Yeah, yeah, um, I think they made a couple of movies out of that. They definitely did the one Hulu yeah. movie also, yeah. But that documentary yeah. is probably on Max, and that was a good one. Yeah. Um, so I had that. I had, um, we talked about the uh, play, the kind of coda, that's a radio show. And that very much structurally reminded me of another one we covered this year, Asteroid City. It's a movie, oh, yeah. it's a show, it's a play, and we're it's a spelling information in there. So... That was one, uh, just a couple more real fast, Dave. I mean, I think uh, I had 
Schindler's List for obvious reasons, you know, because we're again trying to destroy an entire community. Um, and at the time, it's more than a community, it's an entire people, which uh, sadly, we're, you know, where are we today, right? Um, yeah. But on, on a happy one, Dave, we talked about, uh, uh, you mentioned Jack White. I mentioned Jason Isbell. There's Sturgill Simpson in here. There's yeah. a few other um, musicians as actors, I think, right? Yeah. So it brought me back Pete to Norn. Jim Jarmusch's Coffee and Cigarettes and the uh, Tom Waits Ooh. Iggy Pop scene. Yeah, there we go. That's a good one to go out on. But yeah, it, Sturgill Simpson's becoming a good little actor. Uh, I, I like him whenever he pops up in something. Uh, but back to Asteroid City, though, that is funny. I, I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, it's weird that two of our like you know big beloved filmmakers uh, kind of worked that into movies this year. I like that. I mean, I I think it works for both of them, and I like that they're trying to find new ways to kind of get the information out in entertaining ways as opposed to post scripting. Obviously, Asteroid City is different because it's a play within a movie and a movie within yeah. a play, whatever. But yeah, I thought good stuff all in all. Absolutely. Well, I'll read down the list of puzzle pieces and then we'll get into some closing thoughts here. We talked about Scorsese's own Goodfellas, Raging Bull, Mean Streets. We got into True Crime, There Will Be Blood, Under the Banner of Heaven, Days of Heaven, Rocky and Mumsy from Looney Tunes, Heaven's Gate, Monster, The Shining, Boardwalk Empire, Fargo, Sopranos, Mommy Dead and Dearest, Asteroid City, Schindler's List, and Coffee and Cigarettes. A lot of stuff from all over the place, really. Um, yeah, I, I really liked, like you mentioned, all the musicians getting in there. You mentioned it with coffee and cigarettes. That was like one of my favorite things about the movie. Um, I don't know. Any uh, any closing thoughts? Anything we didn't quite get to while going through pieces here? I think, you know, the, look, it's not going to be a surprise. I mean, I, I'm surprised you didn't bring up the score, though, the Robbie Robertson score. Oh, you're, yes, yes. That's, that's on my uh, to bring up as my closing thought, actually. Yeah, the score is fantastic. Yeah, I could see uh, Oscar nomination there. I think we mentioned Pietro for the uh, if that if I said his last name right there for uh, cinematography. I think Scorsese probably gets one. Yeah, I mean, where does this go in the Scorsese canon? It's it's what maybe it, it's crazy to be like, hey, this movie made a three and a half hour epic that is pretty darn good, and it probably doesn't crack his top ten, right? Right, right. That's exactly what I would say. Uh, pretty darn good, but doesn't crack the top ten. Now, I don't. Yeah, there's so many movies I would put above it, but I still enjoyed it quite a bit. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's an interesting one. It's also, I think, really quick. We should maybe mention the fact that this is an Apple production, and yet they decided to switch it to a theatrical release. Um, which is kind of interesting. I, when we were actually planning on recording this one, I was almost going to let it slide because I was like, well, it's already been out on Apple for a couple of weeks. And then I checked and I'm like, oh wait, they haven't released it yet. Like they really switched gears. Yeah. They're going with the, cause Paramount has released it. Right. And it's going full theatrical and it's doing fine. You know, it's funny now, like these movies make like a hundred million in the theater and like, oh, that's, that's terrible. And it's like, get out of here, man. You know? <laughs> But I wanted to say one other thing, which is because um, you and I have talked about this on the, the trailer episode. And, you know, I have some uh, good friends uh, through the Cordillera Film Festival who are Native American storytellers and actors. And it's interesting because um, neither of us put a movie made by a Native American on here. And I think we're yeah. starting to get a little more out there and obviously Reserv uh, Reservoir Dogs, right? Reservation, uh, reservation dogs. dogs but like you know we're starting to see kind of um 
more storytellers, more native storytellers, which I which is great. But I do want to say with Scorsese, it kind of reminded me of Spielberg's West Side Story, where they work so hard to portray something accurately for a different community and that they had the right people there to help tell them that's to help tell that story. So I think that's, you know, that's that's a pretty good deal. Yeah, I mean, it's admirable that he cared enough to to try to get the right input to uh, to still make it, even though we do want to see, you know, more of, of those kind of storytellers get a chance to tell these kind of stories. But um but yeah, no, I, I think that's a good place to wrap up Killers of the Flower Moon. Where, do you, where is this, uh, if you were doing a top 10 for this year today, would this be on it or close to it? or Probably top 20, but I, it wouldn't make my top 10 though. Yeah, and for me, it's right now in it, but I don't feel like it should be in it. I just feel like I've only seen three or four good movies this year. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, I, I've seen a lot of movies I love, but... Uh, this one, there's just, you know, there's enough against it that it doesn't quite make my top 10. But, uh, yeah, it's good, though. It's still, it's an event every time Scorsese makes something, even if not everything about it works. I saw it on IMAX, and I was really glad that I did. It's it's beautiful. Nice, nice. Did you see anything else recently you want to recommend to our listeners? I saw a few things, Dave. Uh, I guess we'll go with uh, something current and something older. Uh, current, uh, you know, one of the movies I did like this year that I finally caught up on was uh, Knock at the Cabin. And if you ask oh, me, yeah. Dave Batista deserves an Oscar nod. That is a really amazing performance he gives there. Yeah, he crushes it. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, I was telling you, and I know you watched it too, uh, not too long ago. I rewatched Better Off Dead. That's just like a perfect uh, teen <laughs> 80s movie. So I'm going to put it's that great. in there today. Yeah. Hell yeah. It's awesome. Right on. Well, Jason, tell us what's going on on Awesome Movie Year and what else you got going on? Awesome Movie Year, guys. We're uh, in 1987 in the thick of it. Got a lot of good stuff coming up. Uh, we just put the audience poll up and uh, I'm excited uh, what, what it looks like we're going to be doing there. Uh, then we're going to do a, a, a real uh, throwback season. Uh, we're going to go deep into the annals of film history after that. Uh, as for me, I am uh, acting. You know, I got BattleBots. We're coming back. And also, uh, I'm going to be in the Majestic Rep Christmas Carol show. So if you're in Vegas, come check that out. Lastly, uh, give me money to make a movie. <laughs> Everyone send Jason money. Just find a way and do it. At least follow me on Letterboxd. Go for Jason. There you go. I'll follow you you back. I want to know what people are watching. There you go. Jason, thanks as always for being here. We'll get you back soon. I'm Josh Bell. And I'm Jason Harris. And we co-host a podcast called Awesome Movie Year. Each season, we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. We deep dive into these specific years and we pick out why they were such great years for films. We go over the biggest hits, the biggest flops, the best pictures, some personal picks, some cult classics. Years we've covered in past seasons include 1994, 2003, 1977, and 1984. And we've got all of film history to look forward to. So check us out at awesomemovieyear.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Killers of the Flower Moon. Thank you to Jason Harris for joining me on that one. And thank you to all you for listening. If you're enjoying piecing it together, of course, make sure you are subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts. These episodes are coming in fast. There are so many movies to cover. And if you are subscribed, you'll find out about them as soon as they come out. 
Also, if you're enjoying the show, maybe drop us a little five-star rating and review over there on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods or Spotify, wherever it is. It would be very much appreciated if you did that. You can follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. I already told you about the Patreon at the top of the show, but check that out too. Lots of great content over there. And yeah, that does it for this episode. Let's close it out with a piece of music like I always do. And let's see, you know, it's a Scorsese movie. It's a big deal. So why don't I use this opportunity to preview some new music that will be out in 2024. Uh, By the time this one goes up, I don't know. I might've announced my plans for 2024, but if I haven't, just know that I'll be announcing it very soon. Uh, But this song, Brick by Brick, will be a part of my 2024 plans. So enjoy it, and we'll be back with more Piecing It Together real soon.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.